Amen. Before I dismiss our young friends to junior church, I wanted to let everyone know, including our junior church workers, that today we have a brief business meeting after the morning service in which we will be taking a vote on having a new deacon join our ranks as Brother Randy Johnson rotates off. And in our church, uh, that's something that our members are invited to participate in. And so what we'll do is after the morning service has concluded, there'll be a brief break where people can go and, and uh, meet their kids from out of the nursery or out of junior church. And then we'll all meet back in here if you are a member of the church. And we'll have a, a quick vote on all of that. And we'll let you know, Lord willing, the results this evening. All right. So at this time, our young friends can be dismissed to junior church. That's grades one through six. Grades one through six. And if you are visiting with us today and you have a young person in that age range and you wanted to know what goes on in junior church, you are always welcome to accompany them as they make their way to the fellowship hall with our children's team. Some of the worst advice I have ever been given is to trust in my heart. It sounded good, but really I found that my heart was not always right. It was not always right. How many of you know what an altimeter is? Any of you know what an altimeter is? An altimeter is in a plane. It's the part of the plane that tells you how high off the ground you are. And if you're flying, that sounds pretty important. I don't know much about flying. But I can tell you that on the night of January 18th, back in 2003, there was a pilot flying a Piper Cherokee, which was a small plane, and he learned a hard lesson about setting the correct altimeter settings when uh, he was out flying and his airplane hit water off the coast of Orcas Island, Washington. He was seriously injured and one of the passengers with him died. The airplane was completely destroyed. You see, just prior to taking off from Sequim Valley Airport, the pilot set the altimeter to the field elevation instead of setting the current barometric pressure in the pressure window. I have no idea what that means, but what I can tell you is that's not what you're supposed to do. He did not properly calibrate the altimeter. So what ended up happening is as he was flying and as he was out and about, he noticed as it was time to land a layer of fog and low visibility was there when he was flying over the airport. And so he continued to maneuver and try and prepare to descend, looking for a place where he could get below the fog to see better. And his altimeter read 600 feet. When the pilot turned the landing light on, his passenger said, that water looks awfully close. And in just another moment, his wing hit the water and cartwheeled the plane, destroying it and taking the life of one of his passengers. What that story tells us is, if you're trusting something that can't be trusted, you may find yourself in dire circumstances. Perhaps you've heard the phrase in children's movies, in, in uh, those Hallmark movies, that you should just trust your heart or follow your heart. And my question is, if you've done that, how has that worked out for you? How has that worked out for you? Does your heart always lead you correctly? I can tell you that mine has not. At times, it has told me that things would be good for me that were not good for me, and that it told me that things would be bad for me that I actually needed. And so we have to ask this question, can we trust our hearts? And if we can, can we trust them all the time or just sometimes? What about once we become followers of Jesus? Is there any time and point which we can always trust our hearts? And if we can't trust our hearts, what is it that we actually can trust? So today, as we continue in our sermon series about the heart, about the inner life, about 
what goes on on the inside and how it connects to everything on the outside, we're going to go to an Old Testament passage. We're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. And this is a warning that has helped people for ages, God's people for ages, and may it help us again today. And so we're going to be in Jeremiah 17. We're going to read two verses together, verses 9 and 10, of Jeremiah chapter 17. The word of God says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us in this warning. Help us to take it seriously. Give us understanding about it as we look to your word. May your spirit work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's people had turned away from the Lord. This was at a time, probably about 600 years or so, before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God was dealing with the people of Judah, and they had followed the Lord for some time, but now they had gotten to the place where they decided that they were going to follow and trust in other men and in idols, which are false gods, instead of the true and living God. And God kept trying to tell them how that would work out, that it would work out very poorly, because it seemed like a good idea to them. It seemed like, well, if we trust in the nation of Syria or some other place, they'll be able to protect us from our enemies. If we trust in the goddess Ashtoreth, or if we trust in Baal, or, or any of the other local gods that were around them instead of the true and living God, they thought, well, that's a good idea, but it turned out to be a terrible idea and brought heartache and was destructive to the nation. And in verse number nine, it tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. Have you ever been looking for one of your children and you thought they were right next to you and all of a sudden you turn around and they're gone? That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Because you had your, your eye on them and, and maybe it was in a department store. I was terrible to my mother. My brother and I, back in the days when it was Kaufman's and May Company, you know those circular clothes racks? How many of you remember the circular clothes racks? They don't use those much anymore. We would go inside them and hide from her. We were rotten. How terrifying is that? You can't, you can't understand that until, as a parent or as someone who's responsible for a child, you've looked and you're like, where are they? It's like they just slipped away. You had your eye on them. They were there one moment and they were gone the next. That's the idea I want you to have in your mind when you see the word deceitful here. It's slippery. It's tricky. It's like you're following tracks. If you've ever hunted and you've ever had to track an animal after you took a shot at it and you lose the tracks, it is a terrible feeling. And you've been looking and you've been trying and you're trying to track down this animal and it's gone. What happened? You lost it. It's slippery. It's deceitful. You thought you had your eye on it and then it disappeared. And that's what it's saying about the heart. The heart, that inner part of you, that part of you that's going to last forever, the part of you that's really you. We had a funeral yesterday for one of our, our dear church members, Marion Wojnarowski. Wonderful, wonderful servant of the Lord. Very encouraged by everything. Too much talent in one family. It seemed like every one of his kids that got up could sing beautifully or had some very moving words. And I thought, if one more of them gets up and sings almost as good as their dad, I'm, I'm going to be upset that the Lord gave us so little uh, compared to that family. But they, it was wonderful. But one of the things I encouraged them to remember was that that was not their dad that they were interring. That he, he had already left, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You are not a body that happens to have a soul. You're a soul that happens to have a body for a period of time. 
And I want you to know that you will last as long as God lasts. You will live forever somewhere. And that real part of you, that's you, we have to watch out for. We have to watch out for. Because it can tell us that something is right when it's actually wrong. Or it can tell us that something is wrong when it actually is the best thing for us. And it says here that it's deceitful above all things, which means nothing is quite as slippery, nothing is quite as tricky as our heart when it's headed off in the wrong direction. And you might ask yourself, above all things, it's that tricky? And I would say to you, the Word of God says, yes, it is. Have you ever had your heart want something so badly that you knew was wrong? that you knew was destructive, that you knew was not the right thing for you, whether it was a big thing or a small thing, right? Have you ever been told by your doctor that you need to cut back on certain types of food because you knew it was messing with your blood sugar or your cholesterol was bad or your sodium was off, blood, whatever it might have been. You knew it was bad, but when you went out to the restaurant, what did you do? You ordered it anyway. Or you took the opportunity, like some of the men in our church do on Monday mornings when they're retired, and they go out to eat, and their wives aren't around to look at what they're eating, and they eat whatever they want, whether they should be eating it or not. And you say, why would they do that? The doctor was clear about what it would do to them if they did it. The answer is, the heart wants what the heart wants, and it doesn't always want the right thing. More so than food in that, has the heart ever told you, this would be wonderful, this person, this opportunity, this circumstance, this is going to make me happy. And it turns out, it didn't make you happy. In fact, you felt like it ruined, it ruined things. You see, that's one of the problems, is it's not immediately clear when something comes from the inside of us, whether it's reliable or not. You see, that altimeter on that plane looked pretty good until he turned his landing lights on and realized he was only feet above water. In Proverbs chapter 21, we're given a little bit of the reason of this. In Proverbs 21, in verse number 2, some of you work with this guy. Some of you might be married to this person. I don't know. Proverbs 21 and verse number 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord pondereth the hearts. You see, we very much want to be right. We very much want to be right. We don't like it when we're, anyone like being wrong? I don't know what your deal is. I don't like being wrong. But here's the thing. We always think we're right. We generally think we're the smartest person in the room. We understand the situation better. Nobody else quite understands it like we understand it. And everything we do seems okay. We will rationalize things right? Which is to give in a reason why we can do this thing that's not good or leave undone something that's good that we ought to do, but we really don't want to, right? But it says the Lord pondereth the hearts. The Lord really knows what's going on on the inside and what things are actually best for us and what things are not. Certain lies. You think this will make me happy. This is a great opportunity. It's really not that bad. I can do this my way. I don't need help. I've got this. Because I'm doing this good thing over there, I can be a little bit off over here. It'll tell us all sorts of things. But we're warned in Proverbs chapter 3, and since we're already in the book of Proverbs, let's look over there. In Proverbs chapter 3, the Word of God tells us, in verse number 5, that our heart shouldn't just be trusting in itself, it should be trusting in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
You see, it's all throughout the Old Testament. It's even in the New Testament. We see that there is something unreliable going on inside of our hearts. You ever sat in a chair that was broken, but you didn't know it before you sat down and it collapsed underneath you? How many of you that ever, that's ever happened to? Don't you just feel like an idiot when that happens? Right? Or I remember my favorite moment. I was in sixth grade. I was leaning back in my chair in the classroom, just balancing on the back of it, just balancing on the back of it. And she's like, keep your feet, your chair flat on the ground, chair flat. I'm leaning back and it, boom, fell right over backwards, hit my head on a shelf that was right behind me, right, right here. And they sent, and I was, I was a lot of it. And they sent me to the nurse's station and she had to look at me and because I thought it would be just fine. I didn't realize how unstable it was. That's what it's like when we think about our heart being deceitful. It says at the end of our beginning passage that we were at in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, it says, who can know it? In other words, it's, it's so slippery, it's so hard to track, it's so hard to nail down that who can really understand what's going on inside of them? Who can really understand what's going on? Now, some of us would imagine we're rather self-aware. And we know what we're thinking and we know our motivations and we've done some soul searching and, and that we could say, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I know everything that's going on on the inside, but the word of God begs to differ. And there's stuff in there that even we don't understand and it's really only the Lord that ponders the hearts. And so if we don't bring the Lord into it, we will find ourselves often deceived. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now you say, hold on a second. My heart might be slippery, but desperately wicked? I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm not desperately wicked. I might be wicked maybe two days of the week, but I'm not desperately wicked, right? Well, I want you to think about this term, desperately wicked, as something that is sick or ill and is terminal if nothing is done to it. It's terminal if nothing is done to it. Have you ever pursued something destructive? because it seemed fun, because you wanted the approval of others, because you didn't want to admit that you were wrong and you made a mistake and you were prideful about it. I can tell you, I've done all of those things and my heart was the one that kept dragging me in the wrong direction. Mankind, it's not just you, by the way, mankind battles inside of themselves a pull towards things that are wrong. Would you look at me in Romans, look with me in Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5. We find here that you and I have been sabotaged. We find that something is defective. Something is not the way it ought to be working. I know that my truck has been recalled for something, but I keep refusing to make time to deal with it, and it keeps giving me trouble because it's defective. My doors don't freeze cold when it gets closed. My doors freeze open which is very fun when you're trying to leave first thing in the morning and you slam your door shut and it just opens right back up because it doesn't clasp inside of it. My truck's been recalled for that. There's a way to fix it. I know Bill Johnson's looking at me right now because he told me what to do about it, but Bill, I have not done it yet. It's, in, it's, it's inconvenient when something's defective. It needs to be cared for. It says in Romans chapter 5 in verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin... So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I want you to know that sin is simply when God says, do this good thing, and we can't be bothered to do it. 
Or God says, don't do this bad thing, and we decide to do it anyway. That's as simple as what sin is. And it says here that because of sin, the penalty of sin, the curse of sin, the death that sin brings, which is rebellion against God, it's as though we shook our fist in the face of the being that made us and loves us and has done all the good that we've ever known. It has come from him. We shook our fist in his face and we said, you're not going to be the boss of me. You're not going to be the boss of me. I'm going to side with the devil over there because I think you're holding out on me. God gave us all of his love, but we thought somehow there was more than that and we rebelled against God. And that's why this world is so broken. You ever notice that the world doesn't seem to be right? I mean, have you paid attention to the news at all? The shootings, the turmoil, just horrible things going on, not just around here or around our country, but all over the world. And you say, how could there be a problem all over the world? Because the problem is all over the world, because mankind is all over the world. And because of that sin that man committed, it has polluted us, it has corrupted us, and it has pulled us towards things that are wrong. And if left by ourselves, it's, it's hopeless. It's hopeless, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. That means that I have sinned. And if you were honest, you would say that you have as well. And the problem is, this desperately wicked heart, this incurable terminal heart, is more than just a problem in this life, it's a problem in the life to come. In the book of Revelation, if you want to turn with me, in the book of Revelation, at the very end of your Bible... In Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse number 12, we see where this sinful pollution lands those that don't seek the cure for it. In Revelation chapter 20, in verse number 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, mankind will one day stand before God. Each and every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It is appointed unto men once to die, and then after this, the judgment. And one of the jobs of a pastor is to make sure that the day that you stand before the Lord is a very good day. But I want you to know, friend, it will not be a very good day unless you have dealt with the issues of the sin in your heart. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about getting baptized or giving money to something or going through classes. I'm not talking about being christened or catechized or any other eyes you could think of. This is simply about forgiveness of sin. The things that have been done that we know are wrong in thought or in word or in deed, they separate us from God. They keep us out of heaven. It says that our sins have separated us. From God. He's too holy to even look on sin. By the way, would you want to be in a heaven where there's sin? Would you want to be in a heaven where there's lying, where there's bitterness, where there's anger, where there's violence, where there's immorality? Do you want, I mean, that doesn't sound like a good place to be forever. I remember being young and thinking that I don't want to die, but the older that I live, I think to myself, I really don't know if I want to be here forever because there's something far better waiting for us. And that is a place without sin. And if our sin separates us from God in this life, it will most certainly separate us from God 
in the life to come. And so something must needs be done about it. And the wonderful thing is God has done something about it. You see, mankind left to himself really can't resist the pull in his heart towards evil, but God made a way for us to have our sins forgiven. That is why Jesus Christ came. 600 years after this passage was written back in Jeremiah, the Lord Jesus, God, the, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, would become a man without ceasing to be God, fully God, fully man. And he would live a sinless life. And because he had no sin to die for himself, and because he was the Son of God, and because his life was so precious, he was the perfect sacrifice for you and for I. He stepped into our place to die for us and as us. You see, the penalty for our sin was coming straight at us, and the Lord Jesus jumped in the way to take it upon himself. Why? For the joy that was set before him. The Lord Jesus willingly did it because he wanted us to be with him forever in glory. That's what the Lord wanted. We were the ones that sinned. We were the ones that made it impossible to go to heaven. And on our own, it would still be impossible if God had not sent his only begotten son. But the father did. And praise God, not only does that forgive our sins, and not only does that give us a home in heaven, which who could ask for anything more than that, it also gives us the spirit of God which comes to live inside of every believer. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember when I was an 18-year-old young man and I knelt down at the side of my bed and I prayed and I asked the Lord to forgive my sins and be my savior. I didn't know everything about the Bible. I didn't even agree with everything that was inside of the Bible that I did know about. And bells didn't ring, lights didn't flash, and I didn't feel funny all over. But in that moment, as best as I knew how, I asked Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and to be my savior. And the work that he did in my life in changing me from an atheist who hated God and championed the things that were against God to, to become someone who loved him and wanted to follow after him, it was one of the most, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing about it. I still haven't gotten over it yet. If you've never experienced that change in your life, if you've never been saved, I want you to know that God has gone to great lengths to make sure that you'll be with him forever in heaven. If any man, woman, boy, or girl leaves this world without the forgiveness of sins, it'll be because they rejected God's so great salvation. But more so than just the life to come, when you and I come to know Christ, his spirit comes to live inside of us, and suddenly the heart isn't just pulling in one direction anymore. The flesh is not just pulling us towards what's wrong. We now have someone pulling us in the right direction. And if we will yield to the working of the Spirit in our lives, we will find ourselves on much more stable footing. See, the believer is made new in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is one of my very favorite passages. And I praise God that it is true. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ knows Christ as Savior. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God does something amazing on the inside of the heart of someone when they come to know Christ as Savior. Now, what's important to know is our heart is still somewhat slippery. The more we walk with the Lord, the closer we get to him, the more reliable it is. But I have not yet gotten to the place, and I don't think we will find that place in this life, in this body, where 100% of the time our heart is going to tell us the right thing. And so we need something more than just our best guess. We need something that we can trust 100% of the time. And so, back in Jeremiah, chapter 17, in verse number 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. 
I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. No one knows what's going on inside of you like the Lord knows what's going on inside of you. He made you, he formed you in your mother's womb. He knows exactly what is in your heart. It said about Jesus that he knew what was in the heart of man. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what their motivations were, even more so than they did. And I praise God that there is a God who's so interested in me that he knows what's going on in my own little mind. Think about that. A God who's so powerful that he created everything. You ever thought about the complexity of our world? You ever thought about the complexity of just the human body or an ecosystem or the mathematics that's behind things like gravity and acceleration? It's mind-boggling that all of these things exist, are consistent, that we can understand them. The signs of a creator, a wise creator, a powerful creator, are everywhere around that we look. And that God who made all of those planets and the great distances that we can only hope to see through technology that gives us a little glimpse into it. We don't even know everything that's out there. That God cares enough to know what's going on inside my head. That's how great of a God we serve. And it says that he, he examines what's going on inside of us. It says that he tries or tests our reins. And you say, what are our reins? It's your kidneys. You say, what is God doing testing my kidneys? Well, the stomach, the gut, the kidneys, that whole area in the mindset of the people in the Old Testament, that was about the deepest part of you. In our, in our, we would say today in our heart is the deepest part of us. They might say in their, in their gut, their gut feeling, or in their range. In other words, it's saying that God tests and shows us what's in the deepest places inside of us. How does he do that? How does he do that? Through the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, it describes the word of God as a sword, which is an interesting thing to describe it as. In the book of Hebrews, in the fourth chapter, in verse number 12, it says, For the word of God is quick, meaning alive and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I want you to know that a dull knife is a dangerous knife, isn't it? A dull knife is a dangerous knife. Why? Well, a sharp knife is going to cut through cleanly, but a dull knife you're going to start wrenching and pushing through, and when it does give, it's going to come in an unsafe motion, and chances are you'll cut yourself or damage what it is you're working on. I want The Word of God is not like that. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce as deep as needs to be. Think about how sharp a scalpel needs to be to do surgery properly. This is like that. And it's not just talking about physical things. It says it gets down even between the bones and the sinew, even to the deepest of places, which is what is going on in the heart, so that it discerns, it reveals, it shows us the intentions that we have, the very thoughts that we have. And this is what the Lord uses in order to show us what's going on. Now, you've looked in a mirror before, I imagine, and you've noticed that things were wrong and you fixed them. I hope you fixed them. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. But when you do look in the mirror and there is something wrong, you would say, oh, my hair's messed up. Oh, I have something in my teeth. 
right? Oh, uh, I didn't shave that spot as closely as I ought to. You might notice that something is off and you would do something to fix it. It shows you what's wrong. The Word of God is very much like that. It's like a mirror, the Bible says, in which we examine ourselves and it shows us where we need to be and where we actually are. And we don't always like where the Bible tells us that we are, but unless we know what's wrong, we can't fix it. You have probably been in the situation where someone's hair was messed up, or someone's uh, fly was down, or someone's slip was showing, and you didn't know if you should say something or not. You probably, you're like, I don't know if I know this person well enough. I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable because it's like I'm picking at them. But friends, I think, I think most of us would want to know so that we could do something about it. Because if we didn't know, we couldn't do anything about it. We wouldn't know to do anything. We would think we were fine when we're not fine. And that's the same way that the heart works. We have to have something that is 100% of the time able to tell us where we stand and what needs to change. The Lord does this through his word. By the way, the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to bring something out very clearly to you. It's as though He makes it alive. It's as though it jumps off the page. If you've never had that experience where you were reading God's Word and you're like, whoa, that is good. Or you say, ouch, in your own mind because it, it got in there and it showed you that this is not what it ought to be. If that's never happened to you, spend a little more time in God's Word and I promise you it will. If you know Christ as Savior, God wants to speak with you through his word, and he promises to do it. But unless we read it and hear it, we won't benefit from it. So let's look at some ways that you and I can apply this truth about our deceitful heart. The first thing, and if you're in the habit of writing things down, you may want to take notes, be aware of your deceitful heart. Be aware of it. Acknowledge that your heart isn't always trustworthy. It will tell us that things are okay when they're not, and it will tell us that things are a waste of our time or they're not going to work, when they actually are the best thing for us. Following your heart all the time is a recipe for disaster. I don't care that there's a happy ending in The Little Mermaid. I don't care that there's a happy ending in Cinderella and all of these other things that you've seen that just says, follow your heart. That is a storybook. I have, and perhaps you have seen it as well, I have seen people that followed their heart all the way down a path to destruction. And they thought they were happy until they got where they wound up. If we had more time, we could look at the story of the prodigal son who, in Jesus, he tells a, a teaching story about a man who had two sons, and one of them was a, a rebellious son, and he's like, give me my inheritance early. I want to go and live it up. I don't want to stay here under your rules anymore, Dad. And so he goes off to the far country, and he spends his money on riotous living, on loose women, on partying, until it destroys him. And he's broke and there's a famine in the land, and he has nothing left, and he's lost his reputation, and all the friends that he thought were his friends weren't his friends anymore when times got tough and when the money was no longer flowing, and he wound up ruined. And it was only by the graciousness of the father that that story had a happy ending because the son couldn't make it right. All he could do was come back to the father, but the father was waiting for him with love, with the ability to clean him up and to restore him to what he used to be. But unless we realize how far it will take us, we will not believe that our heart could lead us to that place. I want you to know that your desires and your emotions are not always wrong. It's not like you always have to do the, the opposite of what is going on inside of you. 
And the closer we stay to the Lord, the more reliable that is. But we need something more reliable than most of the time. Because if you've had to make a big decision that's going to impact you and your future, your career, your family, children if you have them, that's a big decision. And your heart may not tell you the right answer. It will sound good. It might feel good. It might seem like it's the right way. In every man's eyes, his ways are right. But the Lord will ponder the heart and tell us what is actually true. Moreover, we need to know what's true inside of us and what's a lie inside of us. That brings us to our second point, is to ask God to examine our hearts. To ask God to examine our hearts. Only God truly knows what's going on inside of us, and no matter how much we think we understand what's going on, there's more to it. And so, like the psalmist said in Psalm 26, he put a prayer into this song. This is part of the song book of the ancient children of Israel. And Psalm 26, verse 2, it says, Examine me, O Lord, improve me. Try my reins and my heart. Here, this prayer is going up, talking about how he wants to be thoroughly clean before the Lord. He wants his innocency to be shown. He wants to make sure that he's got nothing evil hiding underneath this. And this is important for the Lord to show us what's true and what's not. God will do this through his word. God will do this through his word. Through the Sunday school classes, if you attend them, we have Sunday school classes, if you're not a part of it, for adults all the way down through uh, infants in the nursery. And you say, Sunday school's for kids, yes? And it's also for people that want to hear from the Lord and to know his word better. And there's nothing that builds a strong foundation for life like the systematic teaching and preaching of the word of God. No amount of entertainment, no amount of fellowships or activities or games can make up for the, the Bible teaching that we find as a necessary part of the Christian life and praise God for the number of good Sunday school teachers that do that week in and week out here at our church. It's through the preaching of God's word. It's through the preaching of God's word. I like reading my Bible. I really like reading my Bible, but I kind of have cheated a little bit because I went to school for it. And so when I read my Bible, oftentimes, and it still happens every once in a while, well, I'll read something in the Bible, but most of the time, I kind of know what's going on. The, the context of it, you kind of get, Pastor Jenkins, you know what I'm talking about. You've read through the Bible uh, probably more than most people have as a preacher, and some of our Sunday school teachers, you know what I'm talking about. But for those of you that have been challenged to read your Bible before, now be honest, you open it up and you're like, what is going on? Like what is going, I don't understand what this passage is about. I don't know who is talking about what. I don't know what this word means. I've never seen it before. Who are these people? Are they good guys? Are they bad guys? What time period is this? It's, it's somehow, it's hard to understand that. I want you to know that the, the preaching and the services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, are a great way to solve that problem. Because as the word of God is opened up and as you understand it more because of the preaching and as the preacher explains things, you start to understand it more yourself so that when you go to the Bible on your own, you get a whole lot more out of it. It's great to study it on your own, but it is intimidating when you first open it. How many of you opened the Bible for the first time and you just wound up in some random place? Right, because you, if you were to ask me, Pastor, what should I read for the first time in the Bible? I would probably say something like, the Gospel of John. It's a great place to start. Or maybe the book of Genesis. It's a narrative and it's easy to understand the history of it. 
You know where I started? I didn't know anything. I just flopped open my Bible. You know where I wound up? Haggai. <laughs> Some of you didn't even know that Haggai was in the Bible. It's, it's a minor prophet. The book of Haggai is a short book, but you know what? I got something out of it. I was excited. I remember being up into the, to the, late, or the early hours of the morning because I had never had God's word speak to me before. I didn't know what was going on, but there was a verse or two that jumped out at me. And the more I sat in church and under the preaching, and the more that I understood the words and that the, the preachers, the more I could understand it on my own. So when, when somebody says, why should I come back to church on Sunday night? Why should I arrange my schedule to be here on Wednesday night when we open the Bible and have a Bible study? My question to you would be is, how much do you want God to speak to you? How much do you want to understand of his word? Can you read the Bible on your own? Absolutely. Should you? Absolutely. But uh, if you're anything like me, you're, you're going to need some help. And this is one of the ways that God has designed the church to function to get it to us. So through preaching, through listening to sermons online, be praying, be expectant that God is going to show you what is going on inside of you. If you are at odds with somebody, if you have conflict, if you are eaten up with worry, if you don't have peace with somebody, if thoughts keep intruding into your mind over and over again about how you were legitimately wronged, but it feels like it's poisoning you, if you can't move on, if you're, you're weeping and you're, you're hurt all the time, if you just feel like it's hopeless, if you think God is for everybody, but he's not for me, there's something going on inside of you. And the spirit of God needs to show you what that is so that we can address it. And that really brings us to the third point. And the third point is to combat the lies of the heart with the truth of scripture. The heart doesn't always lie, but when it does, we need to confront it with truth. That is the best prescription for a lie is truth. God shows us what's going on. And once he does, we can do something about it. We must speak God's truth to ourselves. I don't know if you've noticed in the book of Psalms, if you're ever in there, you ever notice the psalmist talking to himself? He says, oh, my soul. He says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And let me not forget all his benefits. You know what he's doing? He's talking to himself. Because he needs to hear it again. He needs to hear it again. There's one passage that the Lord has spoken to me about to, to deal with a number of thoughts of worry and anxiety and what-ifs and the problems that you face. I found it in Psalm 116. It says, Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Just a good, good, you can, you can calm down now. Stop worrying. Stop playing the what-if game. Stop trying to plan for every contingency. God has dealt bountifully with you. He will do it in the future. All these lies come up, and I keep thinking, I've got to fix this. I've got to try and plan for this. I've I got to change this. I've got to try and help that person, and I can't, and I, I don't know what the right answer is. And you know what? It starts to weigh you down, and the stress of it starts to eat at you. And that is a lie that it's all up to me to figure out what the solution is. And so you know what I do? I confront the lie with the truth. Don't let it keep running around in your head. You have to confront it with truth. And if it pops up a hundred times a day, confront it with the truth a hundred times a day. Each lie that surfaces, we confront it with the appropriate truth. We have things thinking, well, I know what's best for me and I've got this and I don't need help and I can take care of it. Well, we saw today that we need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean into our own understanding. We might say, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And I can't beat this. I can't win. I, I'm going down. 
This is over. And then we, we read about who it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We confront the lies with truth. No one wants me around. They'd all be happier if I was gone. And then we confront that with the truth that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And if your mother and your father forsake you, then will the Lord take you up. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you even unto the end of the world. Amen, is what the Bible says. We confront the truth. We confront the lie with the truth. Perhaps you think about, I'm a fake and everybody knows it. I'm a fake and everybody knows it and they're just too polite to say anything. And we remember that God is going to finish this good work that he started in us. That I have not yet obtained. But this one thing I do, I, I press forward. I press forward. Forgetting those things that are behind. Forgetting those things that are behind. We confront lies with truth. Perhaps the Lord has brought something to your attention that keeps popping up into your head. That you'll never be happy again. That things can't ever be good again. That he answers prayers for some people but not for you that it's always going to be like this. I want you to know that you need to answer those lies with the truth from the Word of God. That's what it means to encourage yourself in the Lord. That's what it means to hide God's Word inside of your heart. That's where the battle is won. That's the weapon that we have. If you wonder, is the Word of God really powerful enough to deal with the lies and the trouble that are in my mind, it is the only tool that we see Jesus Christ using when he defeated the devil, when he came to tempt him. He went back to the word of God again and again. And if it is powerful enough to send the devil away, fleeing, having been beaten, it's powerful enough to deal with the doubts that you and I have in our own hearts and minds. Write down the verses, memorize the verses. If you need help finding them, we would be happy to help you. But confront those lies with the truth of Scripture. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? In our head, excuse me, in our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act in your own heart and mind on what it is that God has spoken to you about today. That's what we prayed for. We prayed for God to speak to us. And I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you about, but I'm praying that he has. Maybe you're, you're here today and you're not really a church person. You, you perhaps didn't grow up with this, or maybe you've been away from it for a while, and you say, I really don't know much about the Bible and I don't know much about God, and, and I can identify with that. That's how I was the first time I came into this church as a young man. But maybe God has gotten your attention. You say, I don't know for sure that heaven's my home. I don't know all of this about Jesus, but God has, God has gotten my attention to talk about fire and hell and sin and all of that. All of that is alarming. And friend, it ought to be alarming. It ought to be because God has gone to such lengths for you to avoid it. And you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I, I, I'd like to be sure. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven, but I most certainly don't want to go to hell. Between you and me and the Lord, with nobody looking around, I won't embarrass you, I won't call you out, I won't come to you. I just want to pray for you, that God continues to show you your path forward. 
If that's you this morning, you say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not really sure about all of this, but I, I'd like to be. I'd like for God to show himself to me if he's real. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down with nobody looking? Amen. Amen. Anybody else that say, that's me? I'm not sure, but I, I want to be. Help me. Anybody else that would say with an uplifted hand, that's me? I just want to pray for you. Amen. Believer, let me ask you a question. Have you been listening to your heart and now you realize it's been leading you in the wrong direction? It looked good. It seemed like a great opportunity. It seemed like it would make you happy. It seemed like it was the right thing to do. It seemed like everything was lining up. But you never really measured it against what God had to say. And now as you think about it, now as you start to realize this might be one of the lies of your heart, you say, Lord, help me. It's hard. It's hard. But I have to choose you over what my heart is telling me to do now. I have to choose you over what my heart is telling me to do now because it doesn't line up with your word. Would there be anybody like that that would raise their hand? I just want to pray for you this morning. Say, that's me. Amen. The Lord sees your hand. Anybody else say, that's me. I need to give the Lord his rightful place in that. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord sees. Believer, do you need God's wisdom about something? Are you just lost as to know which way to go? You're not sure to turn to the left or to the right, but you sure would like to know, and you don't want to make the wrong decision, and you realize that there's a lot hanging on it. And you say, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Show me from your word. Help me to make the right choice. Would there be anybody like that this morning? Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. The Lord sees. The Lord sees. Father, help me to know what to do. Anybody like that this morning? Anybody else? Amen. Amen. The Lord sees. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to be at the head of this aisle. And as people are singing, some may come forward to pray, to commit these things to the Lord, to ask for his help. But if you don't know Christ as Savior, I want to encourage you to slip out of your seat at this time and come and let me know. And as others are coming, someone will take you aside, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and privately speak to you how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. If you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism since you've been saved, or you want to put your life and influence in this church as a member, whatever it is, would you say yes to him this morning? Father, be glorified in how your people respond to you today. Draw the lost to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.